welcome to a special edition of Restore Gospel Podcast. We're here with a friend and brother, Gary Hawley, who's been a minister for Jesus for a long time. He's going to share some testimonies, and I'm going to let you hear a familiar voice you may not have heard for a while. Actually, my brother, Corey Stark, kind of set this up today. Corey, say hi to those that, that haven't heard you. We're all just walking each other home, Mike. <laughs> all right. Well, we're here for one reason, and that's because we all believe in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we love to speak of Him, we love to talk of Him um, on the times when we're not at work, we love to be in His Word, and Gary, we're here because of how Jesus has affected your life, so share whatever's on your heart today, brother. Okay. Thank you, Mike, Corey, uh, the opportunity to come and share a little bit today. Um, been asked by these good men to kind of share a little bit about <clears throat> something that God did in my life and is continuing to do since about 1970. And I'll make a thumbshell background context because I'm I know the context is oftentimes missed. Uh, the context from that time was I was uh, had left Graceland College at the time and. Uh, and got married and living in the western part of the city of Salem, Oregon. And uh, one night uh, I woke up about two o'clock in the morning, just wide awake. And as I looked around, wondering why I'm awake, awake, there was a person standing next to my bed. That's probably about the height of Corey. And he was dressed in a one-piece gown, um, so I could not see his feet. I could only see the gown, his arms, his, his head. And as I looked at him, um, he called me by name and said that he had been sent to answer a prayer I had offered to God earlier in my life. And in... And and I must tell you that there was no fear in, the, in my heart at the time, which really kind of made me think, well, why am I not afraid? There's an individual in my home that I've never met before, doesn't look like me, doesn't dress like me, knows my name, knows my room, and told me that he's going to answer something that I said that I don't remember. And so without that fear, in my mind, I said, well, I wonder what prayer that was. And instantly, I saw myself in my mind's mind praying a prayer after one of the classes at Graceland College. And that, in that class, we were talking about a Zionic type of culture. And I remember praying with another individual in the class about whether or not there would be one particular doctrine and in, in Zionic life, or if there would be modifications of it, of one. Uh, for instance, uh, maybe the Japanese have different cultural perspectives than we do in the Western world, uh, having to do with administration. And if you dig into that, you'll find that uh, uh, men that put hands on another married woman's head isn't an offense in, the, in much of the Japanese culture. And... So we just say, well, we change the idea of administration for their culture, or does that culture need to evolve somehow to where we are, or, or are we correct? Or the Navajos, instead of administration, use sand painting for healing. I mean, there's go on and on. 
And that was my question in my prayer and found myself, uh, like many of our prayers, just letting it lay in the back of our prayer life, uh, not even aware that maybe somebody's heard it. And this messenger said he was here to answer that question. So that initiated um, that evening experience where I asked the messenger, I said, will my wife wake up? Because she was next to me in bed just sleeping away. Mm. And he says, no, she will not. And he says, are you ready to learn? And I trepidly said yes, not knowing what an answer would mean. And I was instantly standing up out of my bed with him, looking at one edge of my wall of our, of our little uh, townhouse. And he put his hands up like this, and he goes, like that. And the whole wall disappears. And what, what I saw in place of that wall has changed my life. And, and on, um, in these little booklets that I've made over the years, you'll see uh, four different areas of, of, uh, of instruction that this messenger shared with me. And I'm sure the men will try to give you some background download on that, etc. For them, they have, each of you have a, a copy here. I've used these at different times. I've shared it with different groups of people along the way um, that have requested a little bit of this information. And, uh, and so as a wall disappears, to my strangest uh, belief, um, there was this picture much more detailed than I can ever present here because it was alive. And right at the very top of this, it said, God initiates all spiritual growth. And those words are so, so electric. They had lights and colors that went all through them all at the same time. And it would beat as it went. And I, that was, I'd never heard that, seen that. And as I listened and watched that, I realized that the beat in those words was connected to the very beat of my heart. Mm -hmm. Every time my heart beat, it beat. We were connected in some way that I'd never understood. And it's taken me a lifetime to begin to understand that. But it happened. And, and as a messenger there, I call him a messenger. Um, I, I looked at him as I was pondering this amazing thing. And he pointed to him and he says, Gary, he says, never forget that God initiates all spiritual growth. Hmm. And I haven't. And he came, um, he says, I'm here to tell you uh, four things that will be taught in Zion. He says, there's many, many more things, but you would not understand them at this time. He says, I only can give you four. He came four times that year. Each visit shared one of these four things that it would be taught in Zion. And so it's taken me a lifetime to honor those things and realize I'm hungry for the things that have been shared in there, knowing that there's much, much more yet to take place. So um, each of these areas here uh, are, are, are teachings. And in the little booklet here, I can give you a quick overlay about it. Uh, the first area of growth he, he told me about, I'll give one, you guys got that. It's on this little page here. Uh, it's just a, 
it just has four different synopsises of each of these areas. Uh, the first one was recognizing the need for God. Sounds so simple, uh, but recognizing the need for God was written up on this in our wall. And then the next one that was understanding the need for faith in Christ. The third one was understanding the compassion of Christ. And the fourth area of, of, of instruction he was trying to give me was becoming co-users of God's creative powers. And these four I found build on each other. And um, so, so in a nutshell, I can you'll find uh, maybe it's best just to read what I had. So the recognize the need for God's for God on page two of this little booklet at the very top. There's just some bullet points here. Um, it says in this, this understanding, we're to recognize the personal need for God in our life. Not only to recognize, but accept the need for God to be in the center of our lives. Not only recognize and accept the need for God, but need to, to demonstrate this through total and willing dependency on Him. Our depth of dependency becomes our spirituality and opportunity for an intimate relationship with Him where we shift the strength from self to God. God initiates this period of growth by exposing himself to us because he first loved us, as the scriptures say. This is one of God's invitations to prove him, quote, that he is rewarder than that does seek him, unquote. Here begins our belief about God and his relationship with us, building block for all the future growth and joy. In today, just in a nutshell, um, as he was telling me about some of these principles, he's indicated, at the time, he indicated to me, he says, you think you have 20-20 vision because you wear glasses. And I see both of you have glasses on. <laughs> you might relate to this. And, and you can see me as clearly as you probably ever do. But he says, take off your glasses. And as you do, as you know, things get a little blurry. So it be at our mind says, as long as we've got our glasses, we've got good vision. And he says, Gary, you have poor vision. You do not understand who God is even. And so we talk about what he showed me in that in relation to my context of my 22-year-old life and how I had found myself ready to walk the rest of the days of my life with the wrong context of him. Just blew me away indicated that many people in the, in the world at my time that I'm alive say they, they really don't understand God, but that's okay because they have a friend in Jesus. And he indicated that unless we have a firm understanding of who God, the Creator is, Jesus and, his, and the Holy Spirit are just mythological myths that we've kind of evolved around our own personal comfort zones like I had. I, I was an ordained minister when I was 17 and found myself so unprepared. And my preparation uh, made me very arrogant and uh, felt that because I was an ordained minister, I had something no other young person had. And God wanted to stop that for the sake of my own soul. And we talk about that just a little bit Sometimes people can relate to that. But he said, when you understand who God is, 
you know, and, and who he's not, you can begin to move the rest of your life. For instance, if I have here, yeah, one of the church presidents and the prophets of our church back in his time in the early 1900s, <clears throat> Albert A. Smith. Um, well, at the time, I think he was a uh, he was a patriarch, if I believe right. He wrote a book, What the Latter-day Saints Believe About God. He's quoting a man named Shodan, who was a religious doctorate in one of the universities in America. And, and of all things, the, let me read what he said here real quick. The question of the personality of God is one of the fundamental importance. Our answer to it will frame our conception of God, of his character and worth and relation to the world shape our view to the universe, determine the reality and worth of our own personalities, measure all our values, decide character and destiny, and underline all our psychology, ethics, economics, sociology, politics, science, philosophy, and religion. This essential sovereign personality of the universe stands or fails will all finite personalities and worth and abide or wither. It is whether no remote abstract question or curious speculation we are considering, but one that comes home to our business and our bosoms and enters into every drop of blood in our veins. In a quick summary, the messenger brought this out to me in a way that uh, I've put down on some charts that Mike's going to take some pictures of, and etc. and I go through. And, and every time I ask questions about what the messenger said, Time and space just disappeared. And he would take me to different times in history and teach me what some of the scriptures had to share. Very early on in my young life, I had learned that to take paper and pencil by my bed. And after this messenger's fourth visit of that year, I found myself with 53 pages of notes handwritten, only to go to our to our my local congregation, all excited and pumped and was rejected to share it with the group. Got mad and put it in a box for 19 years. By that time, when my wife and family moved back to Independence, Missouri, going to a congregation in, in Blue Springs called Parkview Congregation with the Reorganized Church Latter-day Saints. Hey, Gary, before you... Yes. I don't want to sidetrack you. No. For a church that believes in ongoing revelation and personal revelation, well, maybe not so personal revelation to an extent. There's always seems to be a higher authority in the church that is allowed to give the ultimate personal mm -hmm. revelation. Why would why do you think your congregation rejected something that purportedly comes directly from the Lord? Um, in I've a supernatural way. In a uh, supernatural way. That is a very good question, which I've asked many, many times over the years. Uh don't know that I have a good answer, okay. uh, other than the fact that just because churches exist and they have services every Sunday and Wednesday night and all those activities doesn't mean there's a relationship with God. Mm. And that the base standard for relationship is not what the church does, it's from what the Father does. Mm. And the people follow it, or they don't. Mm. And And... And, and I, I, I'm so thankful that, that 
what the messenger shared with me about God has kept me going in the years that like that rejection. Because mm -hmm. as a young person, when you get your peers rejecting you, it's powerful and it hangs with you as many of us have things happen like that in our life. But the answer, a quick question, answer, I don't know. Well, I think you... You just made some good points. So didn't mean to sidetrack you. No, so, so you said you put it in a box and then got it out 19 years later? Well, yeah, 19 years later, we're living in, in um, independence. And I was, I was given an opportunity to speak at this congregation. And of course, remembers that congregation was quite large. We filled the upper part and the lower part of the church and, and uh, had a certain date that I was just supposed to give a 45-minute you know, talk. And our pastor had told us at the time, guys, just keep it down. It's about noon. Make sure you're, you're done. People want to go home and they get restless if they have to stay longer. But lead, be led by the Spirit, which was an always an anomaly to me. But anyway, uh, the time came up. I had two months to get ready. And I was like a, a fish in, you know, out of the water. I couldn't get any impress what to do. And a week before I was to preach, that coming Sunday, another a man and his wife invited my wife and I to go to a healing seminar put on by a, a Quaker man from Denver. And we prayed about it and we felt we needed to go. And didn't make any sense because I was, I was supposed to get ready for the sermon. But we went to the healing seminar. At the end of the hem seminar, Saturday evening, and everyone in that seminar was prayed for with certain prayer partners. And before we left, that my wife and I sat there, and no one came. And then the one in charge of the group comes up and says, Have you, someone prayed for you too? And he, we said, no. He says, can I pray for you? And, he, and we said, yes. And so he stood behind us, and he put one hand on my wife and prayed for her in a way that was just, I could tell the Holy Spirit was, was more than just his hands. It was around her. And then after that, he said, can I pray for you? And I said, certainly. He puts his hands on my head and he pulls them back and he says, you're already anointed, aren't you? Mm -hmm. I said, yes. He says, can I pray for you anyway? And he offered a prayer that began this journey after 19 years of the desert walk in my life. And he said to the Lord, he says, Lord, I, I've discerned that you've given this young man dreams and visions of your purposes in life. And when the time comes for him to share that, would you please give him the recognition of what you shared with him many years ago. He had no idea of my life. Didn't know that within 12 hours I'd be standing in another congregation to share something God asked me to bring out of 19 years of a box. And so I went home and I, I said, Lord, now it's time to cram. Mm. It's time to get ready. And I said, I don't know what you want. He's, and I, and I felt, and long story, I, I'll write this down. I have written it down. I'll give that to you guys. It's a little longer story, but to make a long story short, the Lord Spirit told me to go in our basement and find the box that I'd kept all my records in from moves for 2,000 miles earlier back to here. And I told him I didn't have, I don't know where they were. Instantly, I saw the box in my mind, walked right downstairs, and there it was. Opened it up, and there was... There was three and a half pages of my 53 pages of notes left in it. To this day, I don't know where the rest are. Mm. And so I went back and said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And he says, uh, you've been given a daughter. And she was 16 at the time. He said, I've given her a gift of faith and discernment mm. 
And as you try to share with her what you remember by my spirit that I gave you years ago, she's going to draw this out on poster paper. And I said, really? That was my questioning of all this, even though all this is happening. And make a long story short, my daughter was acceptable to that challenge. Uh, the Lord showed me that down my basement, there were, there were 24 pieces of poster paper, brand new, stacked down there. I never knew I had. Sharpies were all down there, just like I'd bought them from Walmart at 9 o'clock that night. But they are right there. And I began to share with my daughter the things that I remembered in these four areas are in your booklet. And as she, about midnight, she says, Dad, I'm so tired. Can I just go back and go to bed? And she did. And I said, Lord, what do I do now? To, uh, tomorrow I'm supposed to hold these up in front of me and talk a little bit? He says, no, I want you to build a, a wooden easel that's 12 feet tall and 12 feet wide and hang all these four areas of growth on these charts on it. I said, I don't have wood for that. I'm a, I was a carpenter, cabin maker at the time. I said, no, you have all the wood you have, need. I said, I know what's in my shop. Don't ever argue with God. Because finally, when I went to my shop, there are my work tables, all this new one by fours, one by sixes, brand new on my shop. And I saw a picture of how the whole thing was all together. Five o'clock in the morning, I had this all put together with screws because I couldn't get it through the doors of the church unless it was in pieces. Went there the next morning with all my little pieces of stuff and saying, God, I'm sorry, I really don't know what I'm going to say yet. And a man from the, that I'd grown up with in Oregon, you know, in, in Oregon just happened to, for the first time, ever go to Parkview. He, we saw each other after 19 years. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to get this thing together before I'm supposed to preach. Just let me help you. Never been back to Parkview since. Just walked in as an appropriate labor. Got it up, and the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to share um, ex some of the things that I remembered at the time. And after the third area of growth, uh, it was noon. And I said uh, to the congregation, our pastors asked us not to talk over 12 o'clock and make long story short, I looked out in the congregation, the pastor's shaking his head back and forth, which I understood to make sense that don't continue, cut it off like we'd said. So I did. Some of the people there spoke out loud and said, don't stop, continue. And I looked again and he went like this. And so I stopped and sat down. What the congregation didn't see, which was amazing to me, is as I was sharing some of that on that Sunday before I sat down, I remember my spirit leaving my body and I'm, I'm about five, six feet away from the pulpit in my spirit, looking at my body, talking to that congregation, hearing a voice that was similar to the one beside my bed 19 years earlier says, thank you, thank you, thank you, Gary, for sharing what I shared with you because it's not just for you, it's for the people. And then my spirit went back into my body and I sat down. After that service, there was a number of people wanting to know the last, the fourth area, opened up opportunity to have an eight-hour seminar a few weeks later and going through a little more slowly what was going on. Um, so out of that, there's been about four or five times I've been asked to come and try to share this with different groups, and uh, that's been my privilege. I'm here not to tell you what my philosophy is. I can only tell you what the Lord or this messenger shared with me. Um, the first area, let me real quickly, he said a lot of people uh, don't understand who 
God is, and once that's established, then you'll understand that, that Jesus was not just a little boy that was, that was grown up in, in Bethlehem that we call the Son of God. He was the actual physical representation of God's Word, just like John 1 talks about so clearly. And that power of God's Word was so full and, and a, of, of ability and, and power that His very words can form into what we call physicalness. That's a whole other part of that ministry. But I appreciate some of the ministry I'm hearing from you too. Uh, tempting us to consider that just as it's written in the scriptures. And the Book of Mormon have same testimony. Corey brought that out so well. And yet somehow in our, in our conversations we have as a church, a collective body, accepted Jesus as another second personality of God. God's Trinity that would come and sit down with us and hug us like our dad and mom might want to do, which in fact that is possible and does happen. But the true Jesus is, is the Word of God that has such a purity and a power that it forms into what we call physicalness. That's, that's here and there. But once we understand about God being who He is, and then we need to understand and have faith in Jesus for what he's done, etc. So we talk about that. Uh, and there's just so much we can share about that. Uh, most of that is that uh, it says that I was told, the messenger told me on the second visit, that prayer is the inexhaustible weapon for God's kingdom. And that all things are, are, are available through prayer. And, I, and over the years, I have found that to be true in, in so many different ways. But he said that many people in the world today have a trust in a friend called Jesus, but they do not understand the power that's possessed in the Word of God, that it's okay to call him the Son of God, which is, is fine, but don't get that in your mind that, that he's just a step above what your best friend is like, that he has power to move in and out through your body, in, in purity and truth and, and mercy in such a fashion that healing of our physical bodies is much less a problem than what we've ever thought it was. But the problem is, is that everything must be healed spiritually first, as the scriptures say, and then the body will follow that way. <clears throat> and so the power of his word is, uh, is what has been put on the earth. So we find, as I said, the second one, uh, we're here to discover a Redeemer, our Advocate, our death, our rebirth. He talked a lot about the identity that we have in, our, in the church I was raised in and how uh, identity, we've often claimed, are you a member of the church? And your identity is when you're baptized. That's what we teach young people, teach old people. And he says, Gary, you're wrong. You've been taught wrong, which just blew me away. He says, your identity is in, in Jesus first. And boy, it's taken me a lifetime to look into that. And I've been overseas a number of times and baptized a number of people. And, and the ones that remain in the association of the body or the ecclesia of the, of the church, the members, the believers, is those that have made covenant with the Christ, not with an organization ones with the organization falter back and forth and finally leave. 
and very similar in the United States. But he, he tried to explain very carefully to me some very precious things about that identity and, uh, and talks about grace. And you remember in the Old Testament, it talks about Moses at one point in his struggles with leading the Israelite people. Uh, the Lord said he was going to take his grace from them. He said, no, don't do that. Take my life instead. We need grace, the right kind of grace. Prayer becomes expression of our faith in Christ. Uh, prayer becomes our willing expression of dependency on Jesus. We find that God has initiated this area of growth by the free gift of his grace. So the issue of sin and forgiveness and righteousness become character references for the Lord and our Savior. Again, the messenger would continually tell me God initiates all spiritual growth. And we go through a number of scriptures. We won't have time today to go through all that. Um, but the, um, one thing in particular, in this um, time that he was with me, the second time, he talked about how he indicated in, in these words, he says, in the church that you go to, there will be those that will bargain for their salvation at the day of judgment with the Lord Jesus. And then he had something take place in his spirit that made my every bone in my body shudder. And he shouted with authority and passion that there's no black male in heaven. Such in a, such a way that I knew in my spirit that this message was was shouted much many times before I ever heard it with my spirit. It was when Satan rebelled against the position that he had been given and that the war in heaven began and the statement from, from the kingdom of the Father of God's kingdom was that there's no black male in heaven and there will not be in the next kingdom here on this earth. That Father will be there king of I mean we go through a number of different things um, but he said once you understand who God is and who Jesus is we begin to understand that dependency on God is not a myth dependency on God is a spirit in which Christ makes sense to people and that the dependency on God and the trust and the power of faith in God's Word, um, makes scriptures that we've had for years make so much more sense. We go through some of that. Um, so anyway, that was the second one. The third one uh, has to do with understanding the compassion of Christ. And and when he came to talk about this third area, he said that there was a dynamic trio, as he called it. A spiritual trio of mercy, justice, and judgment. And that if, you know, we, we can read the stories in the scriptures and we can hear each other's testimonies. He says that we often center on the mercy of Christ or God. We center on his judgment or whatever. But he says those three items must be understood to understand the compassion of Jesus. 
in the scriptures that we have talks about the compassion of Jesus changing the lives of people that are, that are hungry for him. But he says it wasn't just Jesus' uh, passion for the situation and stuff. He said Jesus had the ability and the power in, in, in himself to take the mercy, justice, and judgment that had been created by the Father and put them together in such a way that when people had total dependency on him, not only were they healed, but their lives were changed to become with true identity and purpose. Um, I had lots of questions on this one. We talk about some of this. And I remember one time in particular that he had indicated, he says that the father had been very, very uh, sad and, and often weeped for the many generations of the Israelites that had every opportunity to come in and witness a partnership with God. And they chose not to because of the hardness of their hearts, just like you've been talking to our congregation, Corey. And I said, I don't understand. And in a blink of an eye, we, he and I were in Jerusalem. And one of the Passovers, walking the streets of Jerusalem, and I could smell, and I can do now, I, I, I was able to smell the, the, the burnt sacrifices. I, I was seeing gallons and gallons of blood from the, the, the animals that were sacrificed that was that the people were doing these activities and missing the meaning behind all of it. And, and as this took place, Passover after Passover, year after year, generation after generation, the heart of God mourned for what they had lost. Mm-hmm. To this day, I cannot forget that. And I wondered at times, does God mourn for the people in the church I go to that I'm a part of, that I've given most of my life to. And I'm finding now that 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 is not the real question. The real question is, does God mourn in my own life? And, uh, but we talk about this mercy, justice, and judgment. I give some examples of how God has uh, done some miraculous things in my life, which is not what we need to look into at this point today. Um, I will just indicate one little example here. Before my wife and I had any children, we lived in a little town um, in northern Iowa for a few years. Every Tuesday evening, my wife and I and an older couple uh, that was in the church would go to a little town 20 miles away called Atumwa, Iowa. Some of you may have been there, but little Tumwa at that time had a, had a restaurant where they made the best fish uh, dinners that we've ever found. And this older couple had been there for years before we ever showed up in their life, and, and they would grace us to take us there as a mm-hmm. young couple. We looked for that every, every week. After doing that for a number of weeks, on the way out one time, Wilbur, the older man, took us all a different way to leave the restaurant. And I didn't know they had a different way. And we uh, ended up 
uh, in front of a, a bar on the far end of the restaurant. And the four of us standing at the opening of this bar that had no doors on it, loud music coming out of it and, and the stench of alcohol. And because of my upbringing, that was one of the places of hell I was never supposed to go to. And he told my wife and his wife, we'll be back in just a minute. I want to, I want to uh, introduce Gary to one of my friends. Mm -hmm. And he put his arm around me, and before I could respond, he's, we're walking into this bar together. And I'm saying, I'm glad my mom and dad aren't seeing this. Talk about how arrogant I was. I had not yet even begun to manage some of these things. But we walked in, and, and there was a man already drunk, had his head on the bar, bent over and Wilbur went on one side and he told me to go on the other side and sit on another bar and Wilbur puts his arm around this drunk man and, and calls him by name and the man just looks over at him and and acknowledges him and and Wilbur says I want you to meet Gary good friend of mine and he looks over at me and his eyes are all glassed over and I knew that I didn't I didn't even know if the man understood what was going on and uh Not a word said between us. And at a, within about a minute, minute and a half, Wilbur says, okay, we're done here, Gary. I go, really? He says, yep. And he told the man we're leaving. And, and Wilbur reached his hand out to this man that seemingly was drunk. And the man took his hand and, and he didn't grip it. He just put it out there. And, and Wilbur had to grip his hand. And then he told the drunk man, he says, shake Gary's hand. And the man turned and put his arm out towards me and I graciously took his hand and wasn't sure what to do with it. That's all. We left the bar, got the ladies and went to the parking lot. And before we all, after the ladies got in the car, Wilbur comes up to me and says, Gary, he says, I want you to look at your hand. I said, what? He says, look at your hand really close. And I'm, I'm standing there in the parking lot on an evening in the moonlight or in the light of that parking lot, looking at my hand, I said, what am I supposed to look for, Wilbur? And he says, dirt. Do you see any dirt from shaking that man's hand on yours? <laughs> I looked and I, I flipped and said, no. He says, no, look closer. And I'm looking and I, he says, no, you're sure there's no dirt? And I said, no dirt. He says, don't you ever forget it. Because God loves that person on that bar stool as much as you no matter where you go in the world. Oh, what a prophetic statement. Mm. Little did I know that the day would come years later that I would be in Africa going to talk to a, a family that were Muslim that wanted to join the church. And K.J. Icorn and I were spent six months getting ready to answer questions, theological questions, what they had to do to be able to be a member of the church in right standing with the Lord. And on the way to this, we're walking... And this two drunk men would stand in front of us, both of us, as we walked through this village. And they were, they were walking backwards, stumbling along, begging us for food and for money and for prayer. I'd had that happen so many times before that it really didn't bother me as much as they were an annoyance. And I said, God, can you get these two men out of our way? We spent six months getting ready to, to meet the need here. And then the man in front of me tripped over his own feet, rolled off into a little dirt ditch on the side of the road. And I said, thank you, Lord. And I walked about three or four steps and the Spirit of God just 
gripped me and I had to stop. It says, I want you to pray for that man. And I go, okay. I'll just keep on walking and pray. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to get down in, the, in that ditch with that man. I want you to put your face right in front of his and look in his eyes. <laughs> He's, and there was nothing else. And I turned to KJ. I said, God wants me to go pray for that boy, that man. Kay says, well, you better do it then. So I went over in the ditch and laid down that ditch with that man, put my face right up to his. And I said, Lord, what am I to pray for? And the words came into my mind. I said the words until they stopped. I have no idea what I said to this day. Got back up and walked over to the plantation where the Muslim family lived. That night, as we were in our little hut for resting, I said, God, what was all that about? And as clear as a bell, just like that voice that I was listening said, thank you, thank you, Gary, for sharing years earlier. It came back and he says, I've laid in every ditch in your life when you've been inebriated by sin and prayed over your life to save your soul because of the reason that you prayed for this man because I want him a part of my kingdom and he doesn't know it yet. But there are people on the earth that need to profess my heart into the lives of people on the earth. That's why you're here, to profess my heart to these people. So my journey from there has been to try to discover his heart. Oh, anyway, we talked a little more about some of those experiences. That's mercy, justice, and judgment. And then the last one, which is really the heart of what I've uh, had an opportunity to share a little bit, is uh, called Co-Users of God's Creative Powers. Uh, this really um, was amazing. Indicated that uh, in this understanding, uh, part of growth, that there comes a day of adoption, talked about in Ephesians and other places, in a fashion that I had never understood before. He said that that day of adoption is not just like some of the religions on the earth talk about a predestination of uh, whatever. I won't go into the different names of the doctrines, but some believe that because it says that you've been predestinated to certain things and one is the adoption of, by Christ, that we got an inherent adoption because we've been baptized. He indicated to me that is not what it means and he tried to share with me what the adoption meant that had been intended in God's heart and he went to the scriptures showed me about four or five examples in the scriptures about people that had learned to identify who the father really was how they had faith in Jesus Christ and his ability they understood that the mercy judgment and and um Mercy, justice, judgment combination in operation uh, gives people the assurance of every promise God has. And there comes a point when those people are not doing the work of the Lord because it's convenient or because they're getting some return for an investment. They're doing it because they love the Father so intrinsically that they can depend on even life and death with Him. 
like Abinadi or like Nephi or like others. And we go through and we show through the scriptures the common denominators of each of those men that gave the, the testimony that God called them by name and said, because you're, have, you're not weary in your testimony and you're not trying to protect your own life, I've given to you by the power of my word the ability to speak my heart and the earth will obey you in every way. Fascinating. And he went and showed me some of that. Uh, he says, this is yet available to people on the earth. I said, I don't understand. And instantly, once again, we're standing in a field with uh, grass about two and a half, three feet tall. And, uh, and I, you know, and we're stand, I'm standing with him in this field and I hear this in, my, in his beautiful day, just sunny and light, white clouds. I remember he said, listen. As I listened, I heard in the sky coming from my right, like these high-pitched sounds of, of, of sirens. The only thing I could con 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 connect it with was in school. I saw pictures of some of the Nazi uh, bombardments of, of, of London and, and England. And the live pictures had these bombs that was whistled through the air waiting for the impact of the explosion. Sound exactly the same. And that's all, that was the context in which I was hearing this. And he says, look to your right. And I looked and there were three missiles. I don't know how to explain it. It doesn't make, make sense logically, but I was able to see these missiles in every little detail. They were way, way high in the sky. And they were red, and part of them were red, and, and, and part of them were white, and they, they were, I don't know what kind of missiles they were. But as I became aware of those missiles, a messenger that was with me says, Gary, in the day that you live, there will be nations of people that will devise weapons to destroy entire cities and civilizations. And the people in those cities and those civilizations will not know anything about the intent that created the, 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 the destructive weapons in which will rake, will rake the earth. And he says, uh, but God loves his own. He says, raise your hand and point to them. And I'd learned by that time not to ask why or whatever. And I remember raising my hand and pointing to him and he says, speak to the missiles. Just tell them, in the name of Jesus Christ, be ye nullified. And I did exactly in the same tone he had and I watched all three of them go pop, pop, pop. And they were gone. There's no fallout. There's no explosion. They're absorbed into this power of God that I'd never even imagined could happen before. And there we are standing in the grass, nice sunny day. And he said, look to your left. And there was a horizon that had high rises on it and etc. that uh, the missiles were intended to, to blow up and destroy. And, the, and he said, the people in that town have no idea 
that God has just saved their lives. He says, so it will be in the day that you live. Now, he did not say I would be one of those that would do this. He was showing me the, the, the ability of God to move in these last days when nations would do things that most unconceivable. And I said, do I know any of these people that God is preparing for this? And he said, oh, yes. I said, really? Who are they? He told me four men that I had already met in my life. He says, even now, I am preparing them that they would be able with their own agency to choose to respond to the days ahead if they so choose. At the time, I, this took all placed in Oregon. Little did I know that later in life, I would live within an hour of, all th of three of the four presently. I've gone to each of their homes and told their families and their children what I just shared with you in some more detail whether they will stand in the fields ready to look at the things that other nations do to destroy God's people, I don't know. But I've done my part, I think, at this point. Please don't think you need to call me and tell me that i got a grass three feet tall and once you stand in my yard. That's not what God did that to try to tell you guys that I'm your Savior. That's not it at all. But God does have men and He does have women. He does have young children that by the power of God's word is able to take what the worst men can do and change the course of history for God's kingdom that yet to be established on this earth. And, and we can, that's just not my philosophy, but you can find that with Arabs that are meeting Christ. You'll find uh, in the seven-day war with the Israelites, there's 140-some uh, military documented times in those seven days that God did miraculous things that to, to to preserve his, his Israelite people. Unbelievable things. Uh, at no different than it, many of the Old Testament stories. An angel taking 186,000 people and enemy and just gone one night. God has, has a, a plan for his kingdom and we need to be in line with it. And this is what I've found over the years that this messenger was trying to give me some, some hope and some, some methodology that is based in the tremendous deep love of the Father for us. Uh, ask a question uh, on this. If, yes. If you were to <clears throat> kind of survey the general horizon of the people that we call our church family right now, in light of what you were shown here and what you've come to understand over the years, where would you say the, the starting point is if people... If people's heart was going to change, I mean, is mm -hmm. is there a, a bullet point A and B and C? I mean, I see how you got laid out here, but what in your estimation do you see is, is keeping us from this understanding and being this people? I think many of us do not know how to hunger for God. Mm -hmm. We've got a God that's very comfortable, that we carry in our back pocket. We're not hungry enough yet. Yeah. That's number one. And the hunger is because not that we want to be comfortable, but we want him for who he really is. You'll find some revivals going on, like present the last few weeks. Uh, on the media, thousands of young college students having day and night revival. 
and and you and they have bullet point interviews, they're saying the same thing. We just want to know God. We're hungry for Him. Do anything. We'll skip classes. We'll do anything. And and even the universities are now uh, around the country examining what to do with these this phenomenon of young minds that are giving it to worship God. I see that is maybe some of the there I see some of that happening in our church that you're talking about uh younger people that don't have any baggage the last sixty seventy years they just want to know God for who he really is they don't want a false god that's what I think the messenger is trying to say we need a reality of who God really is, and when they do that, the power of his word will find itself able to sustain their trust and faith in him. That's the first part, I think. Mm-hmm. And the other is just do what he says. We kind of are, we have found ourselves in the Western context just doing whatever we think we want to do. And my life is no different. I've tried to manage things in business or, or married life or whatever in such a fashion that if it doesn't go my way, I get frustrated. So frustrated at times, I'll put stuff in a box for 19 years. Mm-hmm. Only to find out that God says, come on. He says, what you really need is to know my heart. And when you know my heart, everything else changes. So my quest now, personally, uh, Corey, is to, I've been asking God for the last couple of years, how do I have, can, can you ever indicate God somehow that I've acquired what King David was described as a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And I've been praying, and the Lord's been opening up to me that do I really want to go there? Do I really want my, God's heart? And I said, at whatever cost. And He's done things in my life that verify active things right now that. Uh, I don't, I don't have to manage my life like I used to because he has shown me that there is in his heart not just a thought process, but as it says in Daniel, there are books that have been written about the times and seasons we live. And in David, Psalms 139 talks about a, a book of our members being written. It talks about the thoughts of God being greater than the sands of the sea and, and he's saying, that, Gary, you've got all the scriptural evidence to this understanding of my heart. Now let it come in and let me lead you. And so I have a daily vigil where in the morning it doesn't take long, but it's real. And I invite the Holy Ghost to lead me that day. I want him in the driver's seat, not just a passenger for my day. Whatever it comes, I will trust it. Mm. Oh my golly, what's that changed? Mm. So I see this growth happening in our, in our church. I've been longing that it would be the older guys like me. And I haven't seen it except in a little bit here and a little bit there. But the young people that want to go and, and, uh, and be a witness for him, uh, there's a freedom in their heart that I pray for them and that they have wisdom and discernment from their faith in Christ. Does that answer any of your question at all? Yeah. I'd like to add on, as you were talking earlier, 
that God initiates all spiritual growth. Mm. Um, you know, there's movements in the restoration from time to time to come together. Right now, there's a, a, a movement to be one, come together and be one. Um, it's, you know, it kind of involves men going to a temple and um, looking at scriptures where they're standing between the altar and the porch of the people. Asking God to give revelation. I don't know if that's God initiating spiritual growth or men trying to initiate what they think is God's will. But what, what, how do you see that God initiating spiritual growth in a, in a real way with, with us? Like if I'm to grow, you know, I have to have that desire, but God initiating it. And do you feel as a restoration group, um, he's doing that, or where, where do you see us at right now? I might answer it in two parts. One is what the messenger showed me when I asked that same question mm-hmm. in, in the first visit. And when I, when I asked about how does God initiate the growth in my life, he took me back to four times before I was 12 years of age and had me relive four instances in my life that... Only God could have initiated. Real quickly, one of them was at the Devil's Punch Bowl, a, a place in, on the Oregon coast where as a young man I crawled down over the edge into this great big uh, punch bowl. And we talk about that in that first part. And I'm down about 15 feet in the, on the side of this almost sheer cliff. And all the other young men, when the archaeologists were up on top, yapping, I was bored. So I got down over it, and I'm hanging on starfish and barnacles with my toes. As I found the side of that rock surface beginning to vibrate, because the ocean, every seventh wave comes in so hard into this particular cavern that it blows water out over the, the highway at the time. And I looked down between my legs holding on this thing, and I saw the foam of the ocean coming up at me. And then it dawned on me I had done a pretty stupid thing. And I said, oh, God, help me. And the next thing I saw was a hand, just like your hand or mine, right in front of my face. I said, let go and hold on. Twelve years old. I couldn't even swim. So what in the tarnation am I even thinking, logically? But yet this hand was there. And I let go of the starfish and grabbed onto the next thing you know, I'm flying through the air, and I end up on top with the other men, the other young, young men and the archaeologist. And Tracy, the archaeologist, he looks at me and says, Gary, what were you doing? First time I'd ever met the man. He came, but anyway, I mean, he was there, brought a whole bunch of us young boys from church. And I said, well, thank you for reaching down and getting me. He says, well, none of us were over there. How'd you get out of there? I said, you didn't reach your hand down there? He says, no. And he, he dawned on him that God had happened to show up in a way to save him from being really having parents mad at him. <laughs> he said, you men don't ever tell your moms and dads what just took place. We're going home now. Mm. And I waited until I was 40 years old to even tell my mom. In the course of that time, I found that was one of the four areas. And there's three others that he showed me. And, and as he showed me those three times before I was that young person, uh, 
I asked the question to the messenger. I said, does he do that to everyone? And he kind of laughed. He says, yes. Mm. Every young person in every culture anywhere in the world. Now that wasn't the God I ever understood. Right. So, God initiating things. I, when I, from that background, when I talk to young people now, one of the questions is, what's God doing in your life? It's an amazing answer you get from some of these young people. It's not about, well, at church this happened. Hardly ever. It's in the everyday life where something takes place and they, they realize it's beyond them and their own ability to control. And there's some, something happens in their life that they can't deny. But they don't have enough people telling them about it that they trust it very far. So I'm one of the people who want to help trust what's happening. So if that answers part of your question about God initiating things, we we have I was told by this messenger that I had grown up in the church on a work based theology. That if I did certain things right, God would bless. If I didn't, he wouldn't. And I don't say that against anyone, any moms and dads or any child that feels that they've got to go to church because that's where God wants them to be. Or that they have to do a certain activity that has a church theme to it to be please God. God has already chosen to love us long before we ever recognized his love. And he's placed, I have found, He's written down in the book his heart for each of us. And at times he will open that book and let others on the earth see part of it enough to where we'd pray for each other according to God's word. Not according to our physical passions or whatever. And I found that as we allow God to initiate his heart into the present tense in which we live and we align ourselves with it, things change to good. Like it says in John, God, Jesus loved us first. We have very little understanding of that. That's where this initiating God things first comes into. Uh, so we talk about that. I don't know where the church is going to go. It's a critical moment. Um, if, we, if we do what we're... If we go to a certain place to see God's real love, I have a problem with that. I'll be honest with you. Because there was a time in my life I, I found myself having to go to certain locations that I felt God's spirit in the past, wanting it again. And the last time I did, I had a concern. I told my wife, I don't know how long I'll be gone. I won't come back till I get my answer. And she knew what I meant. And I went to this certain location, and after four days, I was just, I had no impress. I remember beating my head against the window in my car, ready for the window to break, and saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Much like I heard about Jesus on a cross one day. And he says, Gary, 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 I'm everywhere. Why do you have to go somewhere to meet me? It's only because in your mind you think I'm less powerful here than I am here. If you really want me, I'm, I'm right here all the time. If you want to be noticed, I may not be there. So go home. 
and meet me with your wife. Whew. That opened up a whole different division for my wife and I's relationship for me. That's a whole other story. But I think we're in a critical time right now. And I think we have many good voices trying to share us things. Um, and I think it's going to be really critical for us as, a, as a, the, the message came recently that we're to listen to God. And, I, and I've realized that that's been a, a message of, of impress for years and years. Everything we are now lit, putting attention toward is not new. It has been there in our whole context since 1830. But it's been there before then. It's been there before you and I were made. And it's been there in the heart of God from the time of whoever he was or is, or, which I can't understand. But I know his heart has an immense love that is able to even take the ones that are addicted and heal their minds and their bodies to testify of his love. I'm, I'm anxious to see that. If our church is ready for that, I don't know. If our church is ready to have <clears throat> young people assist the Lord to free people from demonic spirits, I'm not certain. Because I've found myself thrown into that situation before and it changed my life. It wasn't just a ministry opportunity. It changed everything about me. Can you share on that? I'd, I'd love to hear more. Oh. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I... And I know, I know it, it, it takes a lot of spiritual energy. That, you know, oh, no. Anything, but, I, just, I just want to be careful that okay. no. uh, I don't say things that will be misunderstood. Uh, we had a lady in Oregon before we had children. I was married and we went to a congregation in Salem. <clears throat> After a prayer service, right at the end of a prayer service, one night a woman walks into the church that we had never met before. She's standing in the back of the chapel, a place that I had actually been contracted to build, and I built the whole chapel for them, finished it off, and I knew this, everything about this place, every inch of it. And here she was standing in there without any invitation, never met her before. She's screaming at the top of her lungs, anybody here help me? Stunned everyone in us. There's probably 20 of us or so. And the pastor's looking at him going, hmm. And others. I was a priest at the time and uh, she wouldn't let up. And everyone broke up from the corporate worship and they all went past her except for about four or five of us. And we stayed and uh, asked who she was, etc. And The ministry incurred was a year and a half every day. Learning about this woman's past and present. And she was a part of an occult there in the area. Been there for a number of years, had two small children. Won't go into whole details, but she had been selected to be on the stone altar for sacrifice, and she got scared. That's why she stood in the back of our church chapel. Anybody here help us? What a prophetic question. Yeah. And there are people in the world today 
that asking the same questions out of desperation, that don't know who God is, don't know about His Son, don't know about the power of the Holy Ghost, and don't know their place and their identity with Him because they haven't seen. They've been blocked from being able to see His love. And a year and a half, we found ourselves, <clears throat> we could write a book that, that we have chosen not to do because words can be so deceptive. Because you can maybe hear a little of my passion, a little of my testimony, but oh, it's, words are just a summary of so many things. And there's so many things, some people pick on this or pick on that, and, and the words isn't complete. But I know that during that time, we had everything in the world uh, come against us, try to destroy our homes, our families. We even had uh, a prayer chain from the satanic church against us, our businesses. And, and we talk about that if people ask questions about it and found ourselves where this woman finally had been healed of cancer one night. Um, and... Uh, she had she would wear what we called back then mumus. They were dresses, one piece dress, kind of a gown that and she was didn't know I didn't know she had cancer. And she had documented going to a hospital in Portland, Oregon, to a medical clinic for over a year. And one day she called me up and she says, If you think your God is big enough to heal me, let's do it tonight. Talk about tire hitting the road. Called another young man, and <clears throat> another man, he was quite a little bit older than me, but he was a, a teacher in our church who, in according to our traditional and, and our scriptures, a teacher does not have the responsibility to put oil on people's head and pray for them. And so he and I went to her house late one night, and as I prayed, <clears throat> By that time, I was a, an elder. And as we both prayed for her, we saw those three lumps in her groin just disappear, and her, and her dress would pop three times, and she was completely healed. The next day, this man who was with me, he was a professional pharmacist, had his own business. He went to the hospital with her in Portland. They spent most of the day taking x-rays, etc., and he had an ability to talk to the doctors in doctor's language, and etc., and they there was, no, there was no more cancer in her blood at all. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> she says, well, I want more of this Jesus. <laughs> she says, what do I have to do? Folks, we've been telling that question to our children. If you do this, God will love you. If you don't, you know, don't. That's what she started with, and we had an opportunity to to talk to her about the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it was so different than what she'd ever heard before that she asked to be baptized. The day came for that, and I was, she asked if I would baptize her. And I remember going to that church where she stood in the back of the chapel. Anybody here help me? And that was the same place she wanted to be baptized. And I'm in the back of the bathroom putting on my little white socks in our church, for those of you who may not know. Sometimes in baptism... People dress in white, supposedly for purity purposes or whatever. Uh, that is not what happens sometimes overseas, most of the time overseas. They come in whatever they own. 
and they, they find that that's not an obstacle. But anyway, I'm putting on my white socks. As I bent over, it was as though someone took a knife in my kidneys and started wiggling it, and I could not get up. And I said, Satan, I know this is you. We've been through this stuff for a year and a half. If this is the last thing I do with my life, I'm going to baptize this woman for the sake of her own life. And I tried to get up, and I couldn't. And I found myself crawling on my hands and knees through the chapel, down the side of the aisle by the pianist, and people saying, get up and walk like a man, Gary. I said, I can't, but I'm going to baptize this woman. If it's the last thing I do, and I crawled in the behind, in the, waiting in the back room on my hands and knees for this time, for her to be baptized. And I heard the man in charge say, now she, this lady will be baptized by Gary Hawley. And I opened the little door, reached up and opened it, and I crawled up the two steps onto the rostrum where the fount was embedded. And everybody's looking at me like, what kind of thing is happening? All I knew was that lady's soul was more important than mine. <clears throat> and I, cross, I crawled across the rostrum. I, I remember my right hand hit that water in the fountain, and instantly all the pain was gone. Not only was it gone, but in my face, my, what I could perceive with my own mind, my heart was, this woman's face was all wet with water, smiling with joy that I'd never seen before. And I, I shook my head and I opened my eyes, and she had already been baptized. I looked at the man in charge and said, did I baptize her? She says, what do you mean did you baptize her? Yes, you did. I don't ever remember putting my hand up. And, and he says, I did. I confirmed all that. And Pat got out of the water and went to her side to redress. And after the service, she wanted everyone in the congregation to come. And she wanted to tell what God had done during that baptism. She laid on the, on the rostrum on her back. He says, look at my back. See, what I didn't tell you, she had really bad scoliosis as she came out of her own church and her own belief systems, and her body was deteriorating from the lack of life. She had bad scoliosis, and that was all healed in that baptism. Her legs, one leg was an inch and a half longer than, and shorter than the other one, and all that was taken care of in the baptism. And she was just weeping with joy. For those of us who knew all that, we were helping with it. We were weeping too. Others said, hmm. I look back on that and to answer your question, are the young, are we willing as a congregation to, to take those that have been gripped by Satan and love them enough to have give them more importance in our lives than our own? I don't know. But I, look, I searched the scriptures for years for a second, second way for that to take place. And I have found no plan B. When Christ healed and cast out demons, it wasn't some, you know, look at me, I'm power, more powerful than you. He loved those people more than Satan wanted them. And I think until we understand God's love, we'll be wondering what we did wrong. What did we do right? It's, there's something much deeper involved in this love of the Lord that can transform the minds and the hearts and the very bodies of people. And that's on the verge. And we're at the cusp of that opportunity. The question is, will we teach our people or will others teach us? 
That's my question. Because there are other denominations that are very good at this, that heal the demented mind and the spirit of people that have been trapped in a place that uh, is unnatural. Um, and I could tell you other stories locally from the town I live in now, but maybe another time. Does that answer a little bit of your question? I don't know. But it was, I don't know. I was just hanging on every word you were saying. Um, so you kind of did an overview today um, of the of what the messenger shared with you. Would would you have time in your life at this point in your life to go through these in detail to to have them recorded? Um, if you'd like. Yeah. Because we've got listeners from Latter Day Saint faith mm -hmm. that are coming out of the LDS Church, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, and just to have these up on the internet where. If, if the Lord told you this was, or the messenger said this is for the people, not you, yeah. we're at a time in history where um, I would say everyday people like yourself who aren't mm -hmm. in a position of prominence in mm -hmm. society where everybody mm -hmm. knows who they are right. can have such a impact on souls all over the world. Yeah. And the, how God allows people to find those messages is really uh, been amazing to me at this point in time. Something? So I would yeah. love to get whatever the messenger shared with you out there so it can be a benefit to people. Yeah. I think it's a responsibility and a stewardship of what we've been given yeah. to know how to do this and well, to you, allow you to you share. And Corey have, you and Corey have opened up a, an avenue of ministry that is unique uh, with the Internet, and I, I just admire what you're doing. Um, and, and if this is what would fit with where you guys are at in your ministries, I will do the very best not to give my own personal opinion, but share what the messenger shared. Uh, I think that's part of the responsibility I have. Um, and I haven't flaunted this at all. I've asked other, I've tried at times to share it with others and it's not ready for them. And I've learned that there are, God's in charge of all times and seasons. And I've run before him before and found that the consequences is not good. Just real quick, there's a time another man and I, a young man, decide we're not doing enough in church, not enough evangelism. So we decide we do cottage meetings where we go into people's homes and talk about Christ four nights a week for a year and see what happened. Quote, unquote. At the end of the year, and we did that. In the end of the year, there were 17 people that were baptized. And four or five years later, I'm living in another area right here where I am now. And, and we're doing some home ministry with another family. And the answer to that family's problems was had God had already presented to them years earlier and they missed it. And when it came back to the family need and the family answer, they said, oh, we just ignored that before. And within a, a day or two, the whole family's structure changed because they, had, they trusted the word of God that they'd rejected earlier. And I'm driving away from the home just celebrating in my mind of the Lord saying, Lord, has there been anything in my life where I, I went and ran, a, ran ahead of you or, or decided I had some better plan than you had? To, if it is, let me know. And boom. I had to pull over the side of the road and says, Gary, you remember those 17 people that you baptized out of those cottage meetings? I said, yeah, isn't that neat? And he says, no. The day of judgment, they will be a dead work unto you. I go, what? See, I was still doing things. 
hoping God would think it was good. And he says, you, you picked the fruit before it was ripe in their life. And I had more yet to share with them. And he says, now I will honor their, their decision to come to me, but unto you, where you move before I have moved with you, it's a dead work. Boy, that got my attention years ago. And I said, Lord, how do I keep this from happening again? He said, just listen and let me lead you to the people that are ready for your ministry. That I've tried to do with this trust. Uh, haven't been good at it all the time, but I've been very careful that, that what was shared to me is not my own stuff. Uh, we can go through a number of scriptures. We can, I'll highlight some of them that are uh, there. And people can search, uh, you know, if you guys are listening, yeah, they can search their scriptures. I have found over the years, many of the things that I was shown, others had been shown very similar things, which is just a real blessing to me. And that they're sometimes they're not even in the church that I go to. Sometimes it's in a, in a place halfway around the world. So we can talk all about that sometime, but yeah, I'd love to uh, have an opportunity to share here, not because of what I think I need to have a voice to say something, but I think this message is, is going to be, become more and more real as we move. Well, having sat under your ministry uh, a number of decades <laughs> at different camps and youth camps, mm. um, I know there's many more testimonies. I think you give a really good introduction of the four things the messenger shared with you today, okay. and I think you've probably whet people's interest to uh, join us at future episodes to get into this in depth i think it'll be really exciting and okay. hopefully help all of our souls <laughs> come a little closer to jesus thank you guys yeah me Corey, you got anything else oh i've got actually a few things but maybe i'll share it off here okay okay thank all you right. guys till next time later. thanks Bye-bye.